Well, hello, and once again, welcome to Vaughn Forest Church. Like Adam said earlier, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here at Vaughn Forest, and I'm excited to be here with you today, whether you're joining us on campus or joining us online, as we are kicking off a brand new message series, and in fact, kicking off our Christmas message series called Hidden Christmas. But before we get to that, I do want to say that I hope that you all had an incredible Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great week this past week, maybe got a little bit of downtime, got to spend some time uh, with family or with friends, eat some good food. Uh, I know that's what my wife Christy, our girls, and I, that's what we got to do. We got to hang out with family. Uh, Most of our family is here local, so we got to see all of them. Got to eat some really, really good food. Got to watch some great football, although as an Auburn fan, it wasn't all great football, but that's okay. We're going to move past it. No worries there. And uh, I just hope that you had a great, great Thanksgiving holiday. And I say all that to say this. You know, this past week when I was thinking and praying and thinking about all the things that I was thankful for, uh, very near the top of that list is you guys. I am so grateful for the Vaughn Forest Church. Folks, I am so grateful for how God has been working and moving through you uh, this past year, and I'm looking forward to everything that God is going to do in the coming days, the coming weeks, the coming months, and uh, I'm just thankful for you all. So I just wanted to say that. I'm thankful for you, and I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. But now that Thanksgiving has come and gone, it is officially Christmas time, and I'm excited to be kicking off this series today, Hidden Christmas. Those of us who have had our Christmas decorations up for, you know, a couple of weeks now, we can stop hanging our heads in shame because it is officially Christmas. Although if you've been to any of the uh, retail stores, you probably thought Christmas began like back in September, right? But we are kicking off this series, Hidden Christmas, today, and I was really excited when Adam came to me a few months ago and he said, hey, uh, our Christmas series this year is going to be based on a book called Hidden Christmas by a guy named Timothy Keller. And uh, this is what the book looks like. If you have not read this book, I would highly encourage you to pick it up. Timothy Keller is a well-known speaker, Christian author, and does a great job unpacking Christmas in this book. It's a really quick read. Uh, It's not too long, and so if you haven't yet had the opportunity to to pick this book up, I would encourage you to do it. Amazon, local bookstore, if you're wanting to dive a little bit further into this idea of hidden Christmas throughout the series, and you want to go past just what happens on Sunday mornings and in our weekly podcast, then I would encourage you to pick this book up. But kind of the, uh, the big idea behind this book, and our big idea for this series is this, that to understand Christmas is to understand the gospel. To understand Christmas is to understand the gospel. And lots of times, this truth that we, when we understand Christmas better, we understand the gospel better, lots of times this truth gets hidden at Christmas time. Now, what do I mean by that? I'll, I'll try to explain. Simply this, that in our culture today, oftentimes there, there's two Christmases. I believe that there's two Christmases. I believe there's the Christmas that we kind of see that culture gives to us. This is when you see, you know, the presents, when you see the lights, when you see the decorations, the movies, all that kind of stuff. That is the cultural Christmas that we see. And and hear my heart on this. I love every single bit of that stuff. When I said a second ago that our decorations have been up for over a week, I wasn't kidding, all right? Our Christmas decorations have been up. Not one, not two, but five Christmas trees in our house. If you drive by the front of my house, you might get a tan from all of the Christmas lights that I have up in our bushes and on the front of our house. When it comes to outdoor holiday illumination, I have a very Clark Griswoldian approach, okay? I believe the more the better. Underkill is overrated when it comes to Christmas decorations. This is a true story. Uh, This past year, my wife and I, we were looking at our power bill throughout the year, and she says, hey, how come the power bill goes up so much, you know, during the month of December? And I'm I'm thinking about the thousands of lights that we have outside, and I said, sweetheart, I have absolutely no idea. I don't know what it is. 
But I love Christmas. I love all of the Christmas songs that come along with it, with the exception of Christmas Shoes and All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Those, can we just agree that we never listen to those again? I would hate, I, my, my friends and I actually have a competition to see who can hear All I Want for Christmas is You last, but we all end up losing because it is inevitable that we will hear that song. I love all the Christmas movies. I love Elf. I love A Christmas Story. I love Die Hard. I love all the things about Christmas. Christmas snacks, Christmas goodies going to the stores and seeing all the presents, giving presents, getting presents. I love every single thing about that cultural Christmas. But the problem is, in the midst of all of that, the true Christmas tends to get hidden. The true Christmas tends to get hidden. And you may say, Chad, well, what is true Christmas? I think the prophet Isaiah puts it really well. He says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And I think there's this idea that so many of us get at Christmas time that says, you know, we really want things to be good. We want there to be peace on earth. We want things to be set right. That desire is in us. And we think oftentimes at Christmas that if we just try hard enough, if we band together enough, if we work hard enough, we can have that peace on earth. But we know as followers of Jesus that that is not the case. Look at what Isaiah writes here. He says this. No, let's go back. He says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Not a light has sprung up from the land of darkness, but rather a light has dawned. So we're in this land of darkness. We know things need to be made right. We know that we can't set it right. And God said, I'm going to take care of it. And on this land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And that light was the baby in the manger, his son, Jesus Christ. And that is God's gift to us at Christmas. That this baby given to us, born for sacrifice, would bring the light on us. And to quote the great philosopher Linus, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And so each week in this series, we're going to take a look at a different aspect of the gift that God has given us that so often gets hidden at this time so that we can better understand the gospel through the lens of Christmas. So this week, November 27th, today, we're going to take a look at how Jesus was the gift of promise fulfilled. Next week, December 4th, Jesus is the gift of light. December 11th, Jesus is the gift of hope. And then finally, on December 18th, Jesus is the gift of Emmanuel. And our hope and our prayer is that throughout this series, that what is hidden will become more revealed. And that the true meaning of Christmas can come more and more to the forefront of our hearts and our minds. And that in the hustle and the bustle of this crazy season, that you can find that true peace and that true joy at Christmas time and even throughout the rest of the year. But for today, we're going to be taking a look at how Jesus was the gift of God's promise fulfilled. Jesus is the gift of God's promise fulfilled. And we're going to be primarily in Matthew chapter 1 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and pull those out. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. It's very easy to find. It's the Old Testament, and then boom, we're in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at the lineage of Jesus. And I know that when I talk about Jesus' lineage, like, that gets a lot of you super excited, right? So-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. Like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a great Christmas message. But I think if you hang with me, you're really going to get 
a lot out of it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, no worries at all. We're going to put all the scripture up here on the screens for you. And uh, it's very interesting how Matthew is going to begin. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to kick off the Christmas story. And it's interesting how Matthew begins his version of the Christmas story. You see, in most epic stories, it begins with some sort of epic intro, right? You know, once upon a time or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. There's some sort of epic intro to these stories. But Matthew doesn't do that. Check out what he writes in 1.1 of the book of Matthew. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is starting off the Christmas story by grounding what is happening here in fact. He is grounding it in history. He is saying this is what happened. He's saying that Christmas is not some sort of made-up story. He's saying here is what happened. He is announcing news. And the difference between a story and news, a story is typically something someone has made up to try to get you to act a certain way, to influence you or make you think a certain way, maybe to call you to be better. Whereas news, news is just the announcement that something else has already happened. Someone has already worked. Someone has already done something. And the news that came here at Christmas is that God has come to save you. And you see, without Christmas, the rest of the Bible doesn't make sense. Many Old Testament prophecies that that talked about the coming of Messiah, those would not make sense. The New Testament wouldn't even exist if not for the coming of Jesus Christ. See, the entirety of Scripture points to the baby in the manger who would grow into the man on the cross who would die for our sins. And that's why we say to fully understand Christmas is to more fully understand the gospel. And Matthew is starting here with 1-1. He's grounding this in fact and reality to help us understand that this is not some sort of fairy tale. It's super important. I don't want you guys to miss this. And what's really interesting is when Matthew goes through the genealogy of Jesus, he does a few things that most folks at that time in history would not have done. So at the time, in biblical times, when Jesus was born, your genealogy was a lot like your resume today. It told folks about you. It said, hey, here's the the class that you were in. Here's your profession that you can have. Here's your background, your family. Here's the upper limits of what you can attain and all of that kind of stuff. And so just like today, people kind of tend to tinker with their resumes, people back then would tinker with their genealogies. I know myself, you know, I, as a teenager, I worked down here at Chappie's in the kitchen. I made sandwiches. But when it came time to put that on my resume, I didn't say I was a food maker at Chappie's, not that there's anything wrong with that. I tried to make it sound better. I said I was a food preparatory engineer at Chappie's. I think Subway calls theirs, folks, uh, sandwich artists, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Disney calls their employees cast members. Why? They're tinkering with that to make it sound a little bit better, a little bit more impressive. And that's what they would do in biblical times with their genealogy. They would want to tinker with those genealogies to make folks think a little bit more highly of them than what others commonly would. And so what's interesting with Matthew, when he kicks off Jesus' genealogy here and as he goes through it, he does the exact opposite. He does the exact opposite. Instead of trying to make it sound better than it is, he lays it all out, the good, the bad, and the ugly, regardless of embarrassment or shame. And why is he doing that? Because he is wanting to ground this in reality. Let me give you some examples. And there's quite a few. First, Matthew 1, 2 through 3. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Let's hold here for a second. 
First off, this society in which Matthew is writing this genealogy was a patriarchal society. It's not how it should be, but it's how it was. At the time, women and children were not thought very highly of. In many cases, they were simply property. So the fact that Matthew is going to include a woman, and he doesn't just do it once. We're going to see he does it multiple times. Include a woman in the genealogy of Jesus was almost unheard of to put that in your genealogy. Now, what's really interesting is, and I'm not going to go into detail because it's a little bit of an R-rated story. Uh, If you read here, Judah, it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Judah, at one point, was actually Tamar's father-in-law. So I'm not going to go into all of that, but if you would like to read a little bit more, you can head over to Genesis, I believe it's chapter 38, and learn a little bit more. But this was one of the more embarrassing things that had happened in the history of the nation of Israel. And it's not something that you would want to bring up or talk about at Thanksgiving dinner. I'll leave it at that, okay? So let's continue reading. Pick it up in verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Let's stop there. Once again, we're including a woman in a patriarchal society in a lineage when most folks are trying to impress. And you may remember the name Rahab a few months ago when we did our series studying the life of Joshua. And Rahab lived in the city of Jericho. And when the spies came in to scout out the city before the Israelites were going to come and conquer it, uh, Rahab actually hid those spies and saved their lives. And in return for that, uh, the Lord spared her and her family when the Israelites took Jericho. Now, what's really interesting is she was a Gentile. She was not Hebrew. Once again, if you're trying to prove some sort of uh, Hebrew pedigree, you would not have put a Gentile woman in it, but she was also a prostitute. And yet again, something that you would not have wanted to mention. But Matthew is going out of his way to talk about this. Why is he doing it? Because he's grounding this in reality, like we said. He's saying it happened. So, we'll continue reading. Boaz, nope, let's go back. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Okay, this is sounding a little bit better now. All right, Ruth has a book of the Bible named after her. She's, she's a good lady. All right, this is looking a little bit more. Even though it's a woman, we'll let that slide this time in the genealogy. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. All right, now we're talking, right? Now we're talking. We're talking royalty at this point. This is what you would want to see in a genealogy. This is David, the king, the guy that slew Goliath, the guy that set Israel on the right path. This is what you would want to see in your resume if you're talking about, hey, I've got this high pedigree coming in to be the Messiah. So this makes perfect sense. But then we read this. Next verse. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. This is a problem. Because this is going to remind everyone of an incredibly embarrassing chapter from the nation of Israel. Many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba. If not, very quickly, I'll recount that. Uh, David, when he should have been off at war with his armies, was not. He was at home. He was walking uh, on the palace roof one night. He looked over at the house next to him, and he saw a woman bathing. That woman was Bathsheba, who would eventually be the uh, mother of Solomon, at the time was Uriah's wife. Now, who was Uriah? Uriah was one of David's mighty men. There was a group called David's Mighty Men. These were his fiercest warriors. These were his closest friends. They did incredible deeds. And the wife of Uriah, one of David's mighty men, was Bathsheba. But David saw, and he he brought her into the palace, and bad things happened, and Bathsheba ended up pregnant. So David tries to cover that up, and when that doesn't work, he ends up having his friend, one of his mighty men, Uriah, killed. And Matthew goes out of his way here to mention the fact that Bathsheba had been Uriah's wife. Why? Because it happened. He is grounding all of this without trying to cover anything up in fact. Let's continue reading. Picking up in verse 10. 
Hezekiah, who was a king, we're mentioning a lot of kings in this verse. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. All throughout Israel's history, there was this repeated pattern of disobedience and consequences, and eventually it gets to the point where the people of Israel are carried off into exile. They become a people without a country. And this is not something that you would want to be reminded of. Again, an embarrassing chapter. Because of their disobedience, they were punished and carried off into exile. Eventually, they would come back, and we pick it up, beginning in verse 15. Elihud, the father of Elizer, Elizer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So yet again, it's interesting that we're mentioning women kind of all throughout this, and there's more to Jesus' genealogy. You can find all of that in Matthew chapter 1 there. But it's interesting here that he, he does not call Joseph the father of Jesus. We know because of the virgin birth, the immaculate conception, the work of the Holy Spirit, that Mary miraculously became pregnant as a virgin. But in this time, to not have a father, again, this is a strike against your genealogy. This is bad. And why is Matthew doing it? Because he is telling us that it happened. So let's break all this down. Matthew is telling us in the lineage of Jesus, his resume as a man here on this earth, that it includes Gentiles, it includes women at a time where you wouldn't do that, it includes sinners, it includes embarrassing episodes in the nation of Israel, and some of the most horrible things that happen. It's the good, it's the bad, it's the ugly. Now, why would he do that again? Because it happened. And Matthew is helping us understand here that the Christmas story is not a fairy tale. It's not something that's fake. It's real. He's inviting everyone to fact-check him on what he is saying here. Now, if it happened, which it did, and again, Matthew's inviting all these folks, what we believe about Christmas is true, what we believe about the birth of Jesus is true, if that all happened, I can hear you right now thinking to yourself, all right, Chad, lineage, cool stuff, very interesting, really neat, but what does it matter? And so the question that we ask ourselves today is, why does Jesus' family tree matter to me? Looking through the lineage of Jesus, why does Jesus' family tree matter to me? And so if you have your notes, go ahead and take those out. i got a couple of quick points here that we're going to jot down and kind of talk through. If you're joining us online, you can find those notes in our Vaughn Forest Church app. But we want to take a look at why does Jesus' family tree matter to me? So the first reason that Jesus' family tree matters to me is this, that no matter who you are or what you have done, you can be a part of the family of God. No matter who you are or what you've done, you can be a part of the family of God. Christmas time, Thanksgiving, the holiday just passed, it's a time for family. And I know that sitting in this room, if I took a poll, probably most of us would say that, yep, we love our family, but there's probably a couple of folks in it that we would consider to be a little bit off kilter, right? Maybe it's that one uncle that won't stop talking about politics at the dinner table like that guy. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's someone who struggles with addiction or struggles with some other thing in their life. But what I would tell you this morning, as crazy as you may think that your family is, it's got nothing on the family tree of Jesus. We went through that. We talked about some of these crazy things that had happened. But what we can see when we look at the family tree of Jesus, as crazy as it is, is that there is room for everyone. There is room for everyone. You see, our families, they're full of people. Well, so is God's family. 
It's full of folks in relationships with one another, and relationships can get messy, but they are included because we love them. And it's clear by looking at the family tree of Jesus that everyone can be included in God's family. There is room for everybody, no matter who you are or what you have done. The prophet Isaiah writes it this way. He says this in chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And see, because of Jesus, because of this gift that God has given us at Christmas time, we can all be welcomed into God's family, no matter what we have done. And when we look at the family tree of Jesus, it's a reminder of that that we can all be welcomed into God's family no matter what, and God can use us to accomplish his purpose no matter what. Christmas is a reminder of that good news. The second reason why Jesus' family tree matters to me is that it's a reminder that you should never presume the end of the story. You should never presume the end of the story. I don't know about you guys, but uh, growing up, we would always get a Christmas tree kind of at the beginning of the Christmas season, and as the season would progress, we would put presents under the tree, and they would pile up and be, you know, more and more and more presents, and uh, that tradition has continued into my family now. We put our tree up, and then kind of as the season goes on, we put presents underneath that tree, and I remember being a child and going to those presents and finding the ones with my name on it, and picking them up, and weighing them, and shaking them, and listening, and trying to see the size of them, and trying to figure out what was in those presents. I wanted to know what those packages contained. And I will tell you this, I would make those guesses, and I was a terrible guesser. Nine times out of ten, I was completely wrong. I don't know if it was just wishful thinking on my part that it would be something else, I have no idea. But I was wrong. And when I would open those presents up and unwrap those presents on Christmas morning, I would see what it actually was. Well, I think so often in our lives when we see others and we see people who are struggling, that we presume the end of the story and we never give them a second chance. And what I would tell you today is that we should never presume what God is going to unwrap in somebody else's life. You never know the end of the story for that person. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a rut. Maybe you're struggling with your marriage or you wish you had a different job or kids are causing problems or maybe it's a sin or an addiction, whatever it may be. Don't presume the end of the story. There is always hope because God gave us that gift of hope through his son Jesus at Christmas time. Christmas is a reminder, and Jesus' family tree is a reminder that God can change the outcome for anyone. As we look at those folks in the family tree of Jesus, we would probably think if you entered into that story halfway, you would think, man, there is no way that this is going to end in a good way. And yet, and yet, God makes it happen. Even though the situation may seem impossible, we serve a God who is in the habit of doing the impossible. And scripture tells us in Luke 1, 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And literally in this scripture, it's the angel talking to Mary when she says, how can a virgin give birth? He says, nothing will be impossible with God. And it is a great reminder for us today, we should never lose hope. We should never presume the end of the story. Again, looking at the family tree of Jesus, we see it over and over and over again that God can use a hopeless situation to accomplish his goal, and there is always hope. Christmas is a reminder of that hope. The third reason that Jesus' family tree matters to me is that it shows us that God always keeps his promises. 
The family tree of Jesus shows us that God always keeps his promises. God is always at work even when we cannot see it. And I know that it can be tough to wait. I know that it can be so hard when you are in a season of waiting. Again, it reminds me of my childhood at Christmas time. So the way things worked in my family, we didn't open up Christmas presents at our house. We would go over to my grandparents' house with all of our cousins and open up Christmas presents over there. Uh, You were not allowed, however, to go in there to open your Christmas presents until everybody had showed up. So we would get to my grandparents' house. We would enter in through the kitchen door. The doors to where the presents were would be, like, closed and, like, barricaded and guarded by adults that were like, no, you're not getting in here. Because I don't know if they wanted to take pictures when we all ran in there to see the joy on our faces. It's fine. I felt like it was cruel and unusual punishment that I wasn't allowed to go in there and get my presents. They were just on the other side of that door. And inevitably, what would happen is one of the the families, some of our cousins uh, would not show up on time. And so we would have to wait, and we would have to wait, and we would have to wait. And I remember hating that wait. I remember wanting to get in there so bad and see what was on the other side of the door. And in that same way, I know that many of us may be in a season of waiting. I know maybe you're waiting for a breakthrough with your marriage. Maybe you're waiting for a breakthrough with your job, with a relationship with someone else. And you are wanting that so bad. And my encouragement to you this morning, church, would be that even in the wanting and the waiting, God is always working. Even if you are in a season of wanting or waiting, God is always working. And even though that wait can seem so long at times, God is always working out his plan and he always keeps his promises. We see this once again in the lineage of Jesus. Check out what Matthew writes in verse 17 of chapter 1. He says, Thus, There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Literally 42 generations, thousands of years, that the Israelites were waiting on a Savior. They were waiting on a Messiah to come. And if you look at Scripture, we even get prophecy of a Messiah coming further back in Genesis chapter 3. So there had been a long season of waiting for this. Can you imagine how that must have felt? And again, maybe that's where you are today. You are in that season. And my encouragement to you would be to don't lose hope. God always keeps his promises. I also know that many of us, you know, Christmas we can have, we love it, I love it, I think it's a great time, but I know for many of us Christmas can be a really tough season. It can be really tough. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe this is your first Christmas without them. Maybe You've spent a lot of Christmases without them, and it doesn't get any easier. I understand that. Maybe this season is more of a grief season for you, and what I would tell you this morning is that God has not forgotten you, and we have not forgotten you, and we want to care for you. We want to help be the hands and the feet of Jesus for you in that. And so to that end, coming up on December 18th, we are having a Christmas remembrance service. It'll be at 4 p.m. up here at the church. And if you are in a season of grief, If the Christmas season is tough on you because you have lost a loved one, I invite you to come to this service. It's going to be a time where we have the opportunity to pray for you, to care for you. We're going to remember the one that you lost, help you know that we have not forgotten them, we have not forgotten you, and neither has God. We'll sing a couple of Christmas hymns together, and my hope and my prayer is that it's a time of encouragement. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about that, we actually have a next step on our connection card. You can check that next step, and we will make sure to follow up with you on that this week. But we know that God always keeps his promises no matter what. Check out what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 23. He says this, 
Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. He is not a liar. What he has said, he will do. And Jesus' family tree is a reminder that God always keeps his promises no matter how long it may take. The fourth and last thing for today that we can learn from Jesus' family tree and why it matters to me is this, that it helps us understand that only God can provide lasting peace. The family tree of Jesus helps us understand that only God can provide lasting peace. And we mentioned this earlier that we live in a world that's in darkness, Isaiah says, and that the light has shone on it and that the gift of Jesus is the only way that we could get out of that darkness, that we could overcome that darkness. Jesus is the only way that we could have lasting peace. And whenever I think about peace, it reminds me of one of my favorite Christmas hymns, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Longfellow is an American author, and he wrote this poem years and years ago. It was made famous not too long ago by the band Casting Crowns. And uh, when you study this Christmas hymn and what inspired Longfellow to write it, it's really quite remarkable. Longfellow suffered a lot of tragedy in his life. His son was killed in the Civil War. His wife died in a crazy accident where she was actually burned uh, to death. And so Longfellow struggled with this idea of peace on earth. He struggled with this idea, you can read it in his writings, of is God good? And literally one night on Christmas Eve, as it was turning into Christmas morning, Longfellow sat down and he penned these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar familiar carols play and mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. He's looking around. He wants there to be peace and he sees that there is no peace. He's looking around and seeing all of this evil that exists in the world. He's looking at his own life and he's going, God, where is this peace? For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. He reminds himself that God is constantly working, that God is always working out his plan, and God can provide peace. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I love this song because I think it is such a great reminder that ultimately only God can provide that lasting peace for us personally, for the world. Again, we said that the world is in darkness and ultimately only the light could overcome that darkness. That light did not spring up from this world. It was a gift to us from God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the great news of Christmas And the one that I want us to carry with us throughout this Christmas season, when we look at the lineage of Jesus, we realize that it doesn't matter who we are, royalty, beggar, sinner, no matter who we are, that we can have that peace because of Jesus at Christmas time. And John writes this in chapter 14, 27, the book of John. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And this is the message of Christmas. That Jesus has come, 
the baby in the manger, the sacrifice for our sins so that we could experience eternal life and we could experience peace here on this earth. And by looking at the lineage of Jesus, we can more fully understand that. So why does Jesus' family tree matter for me today? Because it's a reminder of God's faithfulness, it's a reminder of God's goodness, and it's a reminder of what God did for us by sending his son Jesus at Christmas time. The band's going to come and lead us in a time of response. And, and my challenge to you as we sing this song is to commit this Christmas season to keep that true Christmas at the forefront of your heart and your mind. My challenge to you as we go throughout the hustle and the bustle of this crazy Christmas season is that you wouldn't let Christmas, the true Christmas, be hidden hidden away, but instead let that be what you experience at the forefront of everything that you do, and that you would look ultimately to the peace and the joy and the hope that Jesus gives us at Christmas time and throughout the year. Let's pray. So Father, we are so grateful for the gift that you have given us of your son Jesus. God, we thank you for this Christmas season. God, we thank you for everything that comes with it, the good things, the family, the laughter, God, we, we also know that some folks are struggling during this time. And God, we pray that you'll be with them and bring the peace and the hope. And God, I just pray that as we go throughout this Christmas season, God, that we can commit right now to keeping you at the forefront of everything that we do. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We invite you to stand as we respond and worship together.